Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Walk Church. I'm Pastor Mike, and um, I have the, uh, thank you very much. I have the pleasure of serving as the executive pastor here at Walk Church. And as you may have guessed from my camouflage shirt and this helmet of salvation that I'm holding here, we are in a series on the armor of God out of Ephesians chapter 6. It's called Help Me to Stand. Amen? Hey, I just want to just recognize Pastor Dean for a moment. Pastor Dean, you preached an amazing sermon last week on the shield of faith. Thank you so much. We heard so many just great testimonies of um, just the way that sermon impacted their lives. So thank you so much for, for, for doing that. It was great. Pastor Iden, also, man, thank you so much for your, uh, just for your vision on this whole series. I know that I've been equipped to better live out this Christian life. So thank you, Pastor Hyden. Also, our kids have been learning every single week about the armor of God. I don't know about you guys, but my kids have been coming home with the shield of faith or the, the belt of truth, and, and it's been great. So let's just give it up for, for Nina and our children's ministry. And I don't know if you guys have ever noticed this, but we like to clap here at Walk Church. Can we just clap one more time for our online audience? So glad you're joining us here today. <laughs> well, listen, let me just remind you that the armor of God is a metaphor for the rights and privileges that we have as children of God to live out the Christian life that God has called us to live. If you've been a Christian for very long at all, you know that the Christian life is a war. Right? The enemy hates us. He, he wants us to fall into sin. He wants to discourage us. He wants us to doubt our salvation. The, the, the devil wants to, to put you into bondage to sin. He wants to cause discord and, and, and for people to lose friendships through gossip and slander. He wants you to fall into sexual sin so your, family will, your families will be destroyed and your marriages will be lost. He wants pastors and church leaders to fall so their ministries can be discredited. It's a war. It's a war. And though we have someone in Christ who loves us very much, and the Christian experience can be one of amazing highs as we worship God together. I mean, I don't know about you, but I was, I was literally just enjoying being here right now, just worshiping God with you guys. We learn about God. We learn about God from his word. We see our friends and family members get saved. We experience increasing levels of freedom in our own Christian walk. But at the same time, we have a very real enemy, and he hates all of that. The enemy, the enemy hates Christ, and he hates you because you're a, a child of God. And the reason that he hates Christ is because he knows that he's defeated. He's a defeated foe. The, the battle has already been won. The war is over in God's eyes. The devil's been defeated. His head has been crushed. And he knows that his, his end is near. He will be one day thrown into the lake of fire for all eternity. To put it this way, it's the ninth inning. Jesus came up to bat, and he just hit a grand slam. He knocked the ball out of the park. And right now, he's just rounding the bases. It's only a matter of time until his foot hits home plate, and the game comes to an end. Amen? But in the meantime, the church continues to advance the church continues to take territory from the enemy, and it makes him really mad. And so God gives us some equipment so we can stand in the battle. I like the way Colossians chapter 1 says it in verses 13 and 14. It says, speaking of God, it says, he has delivered us. That's another word for saved us. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption 
the forgiveness of sins. You see, the enemy is so angry because we used to all belong to the domain of darkness, but God stepped in and rescued us. He saved us, and he said, know what, now you're over here, and you're in the kingdom of my beloved son. And the enemy, every time he loses territory, he hates that. And that's what we're called to do as the church. We just move that back so I can see what I'm talking about here. <laughs> um, but, hey, listen, I'm just grateful that God did not just save us and leave us to fend for ourselves. Amen? God empowers us, first of all, with his strength. He empowers us with his Holy Spirit. And then he equips us with every piece of armor we need to go out and meet the enemy on the battlefield and engage in this war that he's called us to live. But as we've already said before in this series, it's not enough just to know about the armor of God, right? You can't just know that, hey, there's such a thing as the armor of salvation. You actually have to put it on. Like the helmet of salvation, you have to put it on. And so today we come to the fifth piece in the armor, the helmet of salvation. Let's go ahead and read our passage this morning, and then we'll, we'll discuss it. Verse 10 starts this way. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And here's our, here's our passage today, verse 17, the first part of it. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. God, first of all, God, grateful that you haven't left us alone God, that you have given us every piece of armor and equipment that we need to meet the enemy on the battlefield of this Christian life. And so, God, right now, we pray that you would help us understand how we can use this piece of armor, God. God, help us to apply this piece of armor to our life. God, we pray that you would open our eyes this morning, God, so that we would be able to see. God, we just confess that we're needy. We need you, God. We need you by your Holy Spirit to come and be our teacher this morning. God, who is sufficient for these things, God? Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, today we're going to focus on verse 17a, just this first part of it. It says, and take the helmet of salvation. So what kind of a helmet is it? It's a salvation helmet. Come on, guys, you can talk to me this morning, all right? The answer's right here. What kind of a helmet is it? It's a salvation helmet. Here's another way to say it. Put on the helmet, which is salvation. Put on the helmet, which is salvation. Here's the background. Paul, as we know, Paul was imprisoned when he wrote this letter to the Ephesian church. He was chained to a Roman soldier for his testimony about Jesus, and he's watching these Roman soldiers come and go, and as he does, he's likely sitting here writing down all of the, the spiritual pieces of armor that God gives us, and he gets to this helmet of salvation, and, and, and as he writes, he's just observing all of this armor. The Roman military had perfected their tactics, and they've also protected all of their equipment, and the helmet is no 
exception. And as you can see by this, this picture here, um, the, the helmet was used by the Roman soldier. It's actually made of bronze, and it's, it's overlaid over this um, leather material, so it's comfortable for your head. It's got these cheek pieces right here that come down that protect you, your face. And then it has this red plume on the top to, top to signify when you're in battle that you're on the winning team. And you can imagine how important it would have been to be out on the battlefield and to have this very important piece of armor on your head. Right? The enemy would often have these long, they'd call it a broadsword. It's a three to four foot sword, a heavy sword. And, they, and when they swing it, they aim for your head. All right? Now listen, if one of these swords was to hit your head on the battlefield, at the very minimum, you would be out of the fight, out of the battle, but more likely than that, you would actually lose your life. And so when we talk about putting on the helmet of salvation, here's what salvation means. Here's the definition. It literally just means to be rescued from danger. The helmet of salvation means to be rescued from danger. So what's Paul talking about here? I'll start by saying that God is the one who saves. Amen? And we're the ones who needed saving. When I was growing up, I used to go to a church and uh, this was the kind of a church that used to use this kind of language. It would talk about being saved. It's kind of fallen out of popularity in, in modern churches today. We don't talk too much about being saved. But they used to ask back then, like, hey, are you saved? Or they'd say, hey, when did you get saved? Hey, have you been saved? Like this language of being saved. And, and, uh, and we read the Bible and, and our testimony would be, yeah, I, I was saved. I was saved on this day I can remember. I can remember my baptism or I can remember when I gave my life to the Lord. You know, you, you recall this date in the past in your mind, and that's our experience. If you were to share your testimony, that's what you'd say. But, but I just want to say this. It could be easy then with that understanding of salvation to get confused as you read the Bible and you, and you come across the word salvation. It, it seems like it's talking about being saved now in the present tense, right? We think about, hey, I was saved in the past but you come to the Bible and, and you see that sometimes it talks about being saved now and sometimes it says that, we'll be, that we will be saved and it talks about it in the future, right? For instance, in, in uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, it says this. It says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. To me, when I read that, it sounds like that's a command that I'm being commanded to do right now. And I think to myself, wait a second, I thought I already was saved. But Paul is commanding us here. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling now why? He says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. In other words, Paul is commanding us to work out what God is working in us. Later on, you might come along to Romans chapter 5, verse 10, where Paul says this. He says, he says, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. So far, I'm tracking with Paul here. He's saying this happened in the past. We were reconciled to God by the death, death of his son. And here's where you could get confused. He says, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? Now, this sounds a lot like Paul is saying that there's a time in the future when I'm going to be saved, but I thought I already was saved. And so you can see why it could be easy to get confused. So how can Paul talk about salvation in the future? The answer is that salvation in the Bible is often talked about in three tenses, right? There's past tense salvation. We've been saved. There's present tense salvation. God is saving us now. He's working in us. And there's a future tense salvation when we will be saved. And the Bible says that at the moment of salvation that we're saved. So let's just see if we can go through each one of these and see if we can land on exactly what the Apostle Paul is talking about here in Ephesians chapter 6. 
The Bible says at, that at the moment that you're saved, at the moment that you agree with God about your sin, the moment that you turn from your sin and you trust in Jesus Christ as the only basis for your salvation, the Bible says that at that very instant, you have been saved. It's called justification. And, 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 here, and when we look at Romans chapter 5, it's going to tell us a little bit more about this. It says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So let me just see if I can just talk a little bit about what this passage is teaching us this morning. First of all, the Bible says that the God of the universe, the judge of mankind, the ultimate judge of the Supreme Court, when you turn from your sin and you trust in Jesus Christ, the Bible says that the judge of the universe declares you to be not guilty. In spite of all of the sin that you've committed in your life, when you trust in Christ, God says not only he's not guilty, but he's also righteous, he's innocent. And here's what that purchases for us. The death of Christ on the cross purchases for us peace with God. The Bible says we're no longer his enemy. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not only that, but it also says that we have access into his throne room. Right? We didn't always have access, but through Christ we have access. The judge of the world is not only a judge, but he's also our father. In fact, he, invi he invites us to join his family and he adopts us into his very own family. And all of the sin and all of the guilt that your, the punishment and the guilt that your sin deserves, listen to this church, this is amazing news, all of, this, all of the punishment that your sin deserved was poured out on Christ on the cross. Jesus, at the, at the moment that you were saved, Jesus took all of the punishment that your sin deserved and he drank it down to the very bottom. There is no more punishment for you left if you're in Christ Jesus. Amen. You can clap, clap for that. God took all of your sin, past, present, and future, and put it all on Jesus Christ, his own son. And now, when God sees you, he no longer sees a sinner. God no longer sees a rebel. Instead, God sees his very own sinless son, and he looks through the blood of Christ. He sees you. He placed all of the righteousness of Christ on your account that you needed to be in right standing with God, and he took all of your sin, and he placed it on Christ on the cross. And so let me just see if I can just put it in the, the most radical terms that I, that I can. And here's what I would just say. Your past salvation has purchased for you this reality, that at this very moment, if in fact you are in Christ, that at this very moment, you could not be any more loved than you are right now at this very moment. Not only that, you, you could not be any more acceptable before God than you are right now at this moment, right? Here's what it means. You have been saved. You've been freed. You've been saved from the penalty of sin. Second of all, we're being saved, right? Everything that I said is still true, but our old identity is still broken and sinful. We still have the pollution of sin in our lives, and we're constantly trying to work out what God is already working in us. Amen? Is this true for anyone else today or just me? <laughs> the Father planned your salvation. The Son accomplished your salvation, and now the Holy Spirit is applying that salvation to your life as he frees us now, not from the penalty of sin, but from the power of sin over your life. Hebrews 10.14 says this, it says, for by a single offering, 
right? Speaking of Christ, his sacrifice on the cross, by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. There's a present tense to your salvation that God is working out through you right now. Or as I've already mentioned, that's why we can be be commanded to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling before God. And even though we've already been saved, right, we still have this indwelling sin in our lives. Pastor Dean, you mentioned some really amazing darts that the enemy likes to shoot at us, right? We like to doubt our salvation. He likes to send darts of depression, anxiety, fears. We lack self-control. We're jealous. We're envious. There are so many sins that we all still struggle with. But the Holy Spirit brings conviction in those areas, doesn't he? He brings clarity. And not only that, but he empowers us to overcome those sinful patterns and habits in our lives. And if I could just put it like this, the Christian life, sometimes we get discouraged because we're like, man, I just, I just don't feel like I'm, I'm overcoming everything that I want to overcome yet. I feel, like, I feel like often in my Christian life, it's like I'm taking two steps forward only to take one step back. <laughs> Thank you, Jeremiah. Not leaving me up here by myself. I know you guys got it together, but your pastor up here, it's two steps forward and one step back. And it doesn't seem like we're getting very far very fast, but here's the thing. In five years from now, in ten years from now, you look back and then all of a sudden you're surprised, you're shocked, you're amazed at how far you've come, right? Because it's one step at a time. It's progressive. God is saving us. And he's freeing us from the power of sin. So there's past tense salvation. God has freed us and saved us from the penalty of sin. Present tense salvation. God is freeing us from the very power of sin now. If you got all that, say, I got it. it. All right. That leaves one more. It's the future tense of salvation. Listen, the Bible says that we will be saved. This is what I think Paul is talking about here when he says, take the helmet of salvation. You see, one day God is going to save us from the very presence of sin. Theologians call it glorification, right? What's it going to be like? Well, here's what I think it's going to be like. C.S. Lewis said in his book, The Weight of Glory, he said, the, humans, the human beings, the people that we marry, that we work with, that we snub, that we exploit, he said, if they're believers, here's their future, here's their reality. He says, the people who you're looking at, who you're sitting next to right now, if you were to see the person sitting next to you right now in glory, he says it would be a creature so glorious and so beautiful that if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to fall down and worship. That's how glorious we're going to be. He says that each person is either going to end up at one of two destinations. They're either going to be in everlasting splendor, he says, He says, or they're going to be an everlasting horror, the likes of which that you only would see now in a nightmare. Jesus says that that day, though, for our future glorification, the salvation that he purchased for us at the cross, the salvation that he's working out in us now, will one day be be revealed. Jesus is telling this, this parable. He's ta- telling this por- parable about the weeds and, and the good seed that he sowed. And, and he, says, he says in this parable that, that the, the wheat and the weeds grew up together. And, and, and Jesus basically explained it, and he said, not everyone who claims the name of God is saved. Not everyone who claims the name of Christ is a Christian. He says, and you can't really tell the difference right here, right now. 
He said, but, but he knows who they are, right? And so that's why it's so important for us to put this helmet of salvation on. We have to trust in Christ. Here's what he says. He says, the Son of Man will send angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and lawbreakers. This is in the future. He says, and he will throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. But check this out. Jesus knows who his people are, right? Jesus knows who the righteous are. He says, then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Listen, Jesus himself is saying that the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. The transplendent radiance of your glory will be so bright and so powerful. Church, this will be amazing to see each other. We'll be congratulating each other and thanking Jesus because all of the glory belongs to him. All the credit belongs to him. But Jesus is saying that's the future for everyone who trusts in him. There is no progressive nature to this aspect of salvation, right? This is not a two steps forward and one step back kind of salvation. This future aspect of salvation is permanent. It is final. It's eternal. And it's a reality that awaits each one of us in Christ. Like a helmet for a soldier, does this not provide security for us this morning? Your salvation is rooted in the past. It's being worked out in the present. And Jesus is guaranteeing it in the future. So here, here's my first point this morning. You said, you're like, wait a second, your first point? How long is this message? Listen, relax, it's only two points. <laughs> We've gotten most of the way through it already, okay? Here, here's my first point. Take, the, take confidence knowing that your future salvation is secure. Listen, put on the helmet and take confidence knowing that your future salvation is secure if you are in Christ. Amen? Just like the helmet provides security in battle to a Roman soldier, it provides security to the believer now about their future. We have to put this helmet on. This is the specific aspect of salvation that I believe Paul is referring to in Ephesians chapter 6. Listen, how many people know that when you read the Bible and you're not exactly sure what it's talking about, there's a principle and you have to let Scripture interpret Scripture? Have you heard that? You let Scripture interpret Scripture. There are two other places in the New Testament where, where the helmet of salvation and the armor of God are mentioned. The first one is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 8. Here's what it says. It says, But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For a helmet, the hope of salvation. This tells me that the helmet of salvation that he's talking about here in Ephesians chapter 6 is talking about our future salvation, that we will be saved. Now listen, you need to know something about the biblical concept of the word hope. The biblical concept of hope is not, and I, I cross my fingers, I hope so kind of a hope. Okay? The, the biblical concept of hope is not, I hope it rains tomorrow, or I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow, or I hope Bryce Harper hits a home run to win the game. Right? Listen, Bryce Harper did that recently, but biblical hope is even better than that. Right, here's, here's the idea of biblical hope. Biblical hope is this, that Jesus has already hit the home run and he's just rounding the bases and it's like saying this, I hope Jesus' foot touches home plate. He's going to finish what he started. Amen. God didn't step down from heaven. He didn't die on a cross. He, didn't, he wasn't born in a manger. He, he, didn't, he wasn't despised and rejected to be crucified and die to rise again, to seat at the right hand of God, only to not finish what he started. 
Jesus is going to finish what he started. Isaiah 14, 27 says, For the Lord of hosts has purposed, and who will annul it? Who will, who will thwart God's plans? When the Bible calls God the Lord of hosts, he's saying that he's the, he's the God of the armies of the angels of heaven. Pastor Hyden preached when, when he was up here. He said the Lord is a warrior. The warrior God has a purpose, and he's going to carry it out, and no one can stop it. And with that definition, we can understand why we might rejoice. Here's the Mike Bussey translation. We might call it the MBT of, of Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17. Let's see if we got it. Here we go. I was able to look it up. It says, and take, here's what it really says, and take the helmet of salvation. That's it. Okay? Here's my translation. And take the confident assurance of absolute certainty that you will be saved and you will experience the glory of God and put it on your head like a helmet. Put it on your head like a helmet. Hey, my friend Alex is going to get baptized today after the second service. I'm excited for my friend Alex. I've been watching him grow. Alex is going to go into the baptismal waters. He's going to go down, and he's going to preach a message to all of us when he does it. And here's what it's going to say. His going down and rising up is going to say, Jesus Christ has saved me. He transferred me from the kingdom of the domain of darkness into the kingdom of Christ. I'm born again. I'm forgiven. My, my future is secure. But he's also going to say, I'm putting on the helmet of salvation right now because I know that just that because Christ has risen, I will rise too. Jesus said to Martha, he says, I am the resurrection and the life, and he who believes in me will never die, and, 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 and the one who dies, um, though he dies, yet shall he live. And then he says, do you believe this? My friend Alex today, through the baptism, is going to say, I believe it. I believe it. I'm putting on the helmet. Now, the helmet provides confident assurance and security about your future, but it also provides motivation. In fact, it provides the motivation that we need to live a pleasing life in God's sight now. Point number two Putting on the helmet with confidence leads to a purified life. Putting on the helmet with confidence leads to a purified life. The helmet of salvation reminds us that to live, it reminds us to live in the light. The helmet of salvation reminds us to love the light. The second place in the New Testament that you can find this armor is mentioned in Romans chapter 13. Let's go ahead and take a look at it. It says, besides this, you know the time. That the hour has come for you to wake from your sleep. Walk short. Some people in this room right now need to hear this. It's time for you to wake from your sleep. For salvation is nearer to us than when we, now than when we first believed. Remember, this is a future tense of salvation that Paul is talking about here. Look, we were saved in the past, but our, our, our actual salvation is nearer now than it was when we first believed. He says, the night is far gone the day is at hand, so what are we supposed to do with that information? He says, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Putting on the helmet of salvation reminds us to live our lives as though the day is about to show up. You see, not everything is as it seems to be. What you are has not yet fully been revealed and as Christians, we know that one day the irresistible light of God's glory will come crashing down into this world, and God will reveal the secrets of the hearts of men. 1 Corinthians 4 5 says that when the Lord comes, he will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. 
God will disclose the purposes of the heart, so we should live in the light. Live as though that day is already here, church. What does it mean to disclose? God is going to disclose. It means to make known, to reveal, to uncover, to cause to appear, to allow to be seen, to lay open to view. Remember that we're called to put on the armor of light because the future day of salvation is at hand. Daytime is about to show up at any moment, so putting on the helmet of salvation reminds us to live like it's already here. Right now it's nighttime, but the day is coming, church. So I don't know if you guys know this about about us in the church, but we often have to wake up very early in the morning to show up here to get everything set up. And in the wintertime, especially with the daylight savings time, we wake up in the morning and it's pitch black outside. And for someone like me who's been married for 15 years and knows how much my my wife hates being woken up, especially after we've had four kids, (laughs) some of the women in here are like, "I, I know what you mean, right? My wife hates being woken up, especially when she spent all night trying to put the kids to sleep, right? She hates being woken up. And so I would, I would go into my closet at nighttime, and I would lay out all my clothes, and I would get my shoes and everything ready. And when I woke up in the morning, I would not turn on the light. I wouldn't do it. I'd be tiptoeing, like, don't wake up the baby. Because it'll wake up my wife, and that'll be bad. And so I, one day I got dressed. I got my clothes on. I slipped my shoes on. I went outside, came to church, working, doing my work, getting everything ready. And all of a sudden, someone goes, bro, what are you doing? And I looked down at my shoes, and, and I, all of a sudden I, I noticed that I had a black shoe on and a brown shoe on. I had, like, different pairs of shoes on because I'm getting dressed in the dark. Wow. Talk about it. So, yeah, needless to say, that was a little bit embarrassing, and I had to call my wife and um, ask her to bring me um, the right pair of shoes. <laughs> so you're like, what's your point? Here's my point. Don't get dressed in the dark if you know you're going to have to be out in the daylight, Right? It's simple. It's easy. You don't know what you're going to look like. We need to clothe ourselves in the light of our future salvation. We need to dress our souls as though that light has already dawned. C.S. Lewis put it like this. He said, we can perhaps train ourselves to ask more and more often how the thing which we are saying or doing or failing to do at each moment will look when the irresistible light streams in upon it the light which is so different from the light of the world, and yet even now we know just enough of it to take it into account. The right response is to live our lives, as it were, as people who are always living in the future. We need to live our lives as though that irresistible light has already dawned. We need to examine the way that we're living our lives to see if we'll be ashamed when that light appears. You see, living with the knowledge that the day is at hand, it's almost here, it's about to dawn, causes us to live differently than the world. It causes us to purify ourselves. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 says this. It says, behold, anytime the Bible says behold, you want to really pay attention. This is meant to be a shocking statement about what's about to follow. He says, what kind of love the Father has given to us that we, that we, church, that we should be called the children of God. And then I think it's funny, it's almost like he has to reassure us. We're like, we don't feel like the children of God. Like, the world is like, this is a rough, this rough out there. But look what, look, what, look what John says. He says, and so we are. We are, church. We are children of God. I know that the world doesn't really recognize us as children of God. They don't, they don't see you come into work, right? They don't see you come into work and go, woo, it's a child of God right there. Man, they're here. Woo. Love that brother. 
No, they're going like, man, this dude, like, always making me feel bad. He doesn't want to do what I do. He's always trying to tell me to come to church about Jesus. Look what he says. The reason why the world doesn't know us is that it did not know him. Church, be encouraged this morning. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. What we will be has not yet appeared. Look what it says next. He says, but we know that when he appears, the day is coming, church. When he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone, what do we do with that information? We're going to see him as he is. The light is coming. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself even as he is pure. Church, everyone who has this hope, everyone who wears this helmet, purifies himself as he is pure. But let me see if I can just put it another way this morning. Whoever does not purify themselves does not have this hope. It's just a challenge to you this morning to examine your life. Are you living a life where you're saying increasingly, day by day, God, I want to live a life that's more and more pleasing in your sight? God, I want to live a life today that I won't be ashamed of when this irresistible light comes crashing in. Put on the helmet of salvation. How many people here want to see God one day? Yeah, yeah amen. I'm going to put my hand up twice. You know what I think is amazing is just the way that even the hope to want to see God begins to purify your life now. And as I close, I just want to just mention a few things about Ephesians chapter 6, this passage that we've been reading. I notice when I, when I go and I look at all the, the words that Paul uses here, he uses all of these action words, right? He says, take up the armor of God. He says, fasten the belt of truth. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Put on the readiness given by the gospel. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. But when Paul gets done with verse 16, he pauses. He ends the sentence and he starts a new one. And our translation just say, and take the helmet of salvation. But in the original language, Paul uses a different word. If you could just allow me to, to geek out here just for a minute. He uses another word in the, in the Greek. It's this word dekomai. And this word, this word dekomai, it literally means to welcome or receive something offered by another. He says, and take the helmet of salvation, and receive the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Philippians 4.8, Paul says this. He uses the same word. He says this. He says, I have received full payment. He says, I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Now listen, in, in the ancient world, when a Roman soldier was preparing for battle, he would put on his shoes, he would put on the belt of truth, he'd put on the breastplate, he'd pick up his shield, but then another person would come, an attendant, and he would hand him his helmet, and he would receive the helmet, and he would receive his sword. Maybe you're here today, and you have never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you've never received the helmet of salvation, your past, present, and future salvation. John chapter 1, verse 12 says this. It says, but to all who received him, to them he gave the right, to them he gave the authority to be called the children of God. 
Church, you, you can't earn your salvation. It's not something that you can go and work. It's not something that you can just pick up or put on. The helmet of salvation is something that you can only receive. It's the free gift of God. Amen? Let me just invite everyone to close their eyes for a moment, and I just want just to talk to everyone in the room for a moment. If you're here this morning and you have never heard a sermon like this, maybe you've never realized that everything that Christ purchased for you on the cross when he paid for your sins, maybe you didn't realize that, that there's this active work of the Holy Spirit in your life now, maybe you didn't realize that one day you will fully and finally be saved and experience the glory of God, maybe you just didn't even know that this was available to you. I just want to invite you this morning to put on the helmet of salvation. I want to invite you to receive it as a gift today. God is here this morning, and he offers it freely to anyone who would receive it. So if that's you this morning, I just want to invite you to receive it as a free gift today. Let me just lead you in this prayer. And with every eye closed, you can say it silently, you can say it out loud, whatever, whatever you would like to do. But let me just lead you in this, in this prayer of putting on this helmet of salvation. God, I've heard this sermon this morning. God, I believe that your word is true. God, I confess that I am a sinner. God, that I've, I've, I've fallen short of the glory of God. God, I, I know that I've offended you in the way that I live things that I've said and the decisions that I've made but God I believe that Jesus came that he died on a cross for me that he paid the penalty that my sin deserves that he was raised from the dead and that he's coming back again in great glory God I, this morning I want to put that on as a helmet of my salvation God, I pray that you would save me. God, I pray that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit. God, I pray that you would empower me to purify my life. I love you, God. Help me understand your word. Surround me with people who are believers. And help me, Lord. I love you. In Jesus' name. Just with all eyes closed. If you said that prayer this morning, I just want to invite you to lift your hands so we can see you. We see you, hands, hands going up. I see you back there. I see you. See you, brother. Yeah, Father, we, we, we praise you, God. We thank you, God, for the free gift of salvation that you offer, God. We thank you that you have promised it to everyone who receives the Lord Jesus Christ. God, you give us the authority to become the children of God. And Father, I just want to address one more group in the audience today, God, in this church. God, I believe that there's another group of people who say, yes, I, I do believe in Jesus and I do trust in him and I have been saved and I do believe that my future salvation is secure, but I just haven't been purifying myself the way that I'm expected to, the way that I'm called to. Holy Spirit has been doing work in me, but I haven't been working it out. 
So if that's you, I just want to say a prayer over, over you right now. I just want to, want to pray for you. I want to, I want to say this also as a word of encouragement. The Holy Spirit is here today to empower you. God loves you with an everlasting love. There is no more punishment available for you because Jesus took it all and he loves you enough to save you now from the power of sin over your life. God wants to break the bondage that's in your life. He wants to set you free from the bondage that's in your families for generations. That impossible sin, the one you think that you'll never be free of, I just want to encourage you today, there is freedom in Christ and it's available to you. Let me pray for you. That's you. You know who you are. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would empower, encourage each one of these people here today. God, I pray that we would begin, all of us, God, to live our lives as though we're living in the future, God. God, we would live our lives as though the day has already dawned. God, help us to examine our lives, God, and to see if there is anything inside of us that's not pleasing to you, God. And God, I pray that you would empower us to uproot it and to get rid of it out of our lives, God, to treat it with violence, God, to get rid of it. And God, I pray that you would empower each one of us to do that. God, we thank you for the promise that is available to us of your Holy Spirit. God, you have sealed us with a guarantee of promise. And God, you do free us from the power of sin increasingly, God. So help us now in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 The last scripture I want to quote to you this morning is one that I love from the book of Jude. It's one chapter. It's just verses 24 and 25. It says, now to him who is able, if you've been at Walk Church for a while, you know we like that language. We like to pray to the God who's able, right? We like the God who's able to do far more, exceedingly abundantly beyond all we could ask or think. What's God able to do? Look at what he's able to do. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. God is able to keep you from stumbling, church. Listen, I know that that sin this indwelling sin in your life is strong, it's powerful, but God can break that stronghold. He's able to keep you from stumbling. And he's also able to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Church, put this helmet on. He's able to do that. I know you're not perfect. I know you're not sinless, but he's able to present you blameless, perfect before the, before the presence of his glory with great joy. And then I like the way he ends. He just can't help himself but to praise. He says, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now, and forevermore. Listen, church, when it feels like your faith might fail, you just know that he will, he's able to hold you fast. He's able to keep you from stumbling. When you fall for the seventh time this week, just know that he's able to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Just keep on fighting. Keep on trusting, church. He's going to do it. When the enemy tells you that you could never be saved, remember that he's able to present you blameless. Love you, church.